Good morning. Today is bittersweet as we celebrate Dr. King's birthday and remember his work. Reflect with me in this time. What do you do when you realize that God's vision in you is larger than the world around you? Some dreams are pleasant, some are strange, and others are downright terrorizing nightmares. In some situations, we cannot determine or decide what to make of our inner visions, and dream interpretation seems to be a call for a few unique and special persons. Prophets like Joseph had big, colorful, and high-definition dreams. And all the mean, although the meanings of his dreams escaped him, he could interpret the dreams of others. He could unravel the symbols and the underlying meanings behind what others deemed to be strange, troubling, and peculiar. And no matter how a dream appears on the surface, whether threatening or pleasant or promising, it could point us toward a real-life declaration of tangible change for good, growth, and progress. Joseph, like most prophets, faced danger and brutality because of his dreams and his God-given ability to interpret dreams, and also because he was favored in an extraordinary way. The pressure from his haters, and we know haters are those who hate us, but we don't hate them back, was intended to cause him to give in and give up and turn back. Haters tend to be good at plotting. The intensity of his struggles was strategically crafted to make him stop dreaming and perhaps stop talking about his dreams. What do you do when others don't, can't, or won't see or imagine you as God imagines you? It is interesting how people will begin to hate you because of your dream, your ability to see a better way or to see the warning signs that say, stop the madness. We cannot continue to do what we've been doing. We must go in a new direction. And why is that? Why are dreamers attacked ridiculed and subjected to the hurling of insults, gossip, and character assassination. Dreams do not come out of thin air. They begin with visions created in the imagination, and I'm not referring to visions as random images, but visions as in hopes. Not abstract hopes, but hopes for a tangible and real embodiment of change, a better way in the here and now. Dreams offer answers to future situations, a way out of oppression and despair. Prophets dream in and out of context. And let us also remember that good and peculiar dreams are difficult to keep to ourselves and that people wouldn't know about our dreams unless we share them, right? You get up one morning and start telling people about the weird dream you had the night before. 
Joseph enjoyed telling and retelling his dreams, and he did not know why he dreamt the dreams or how they would play out. His brothers took offense because, in their minds, he was not supposed to be special or unique. They thought that he was ego-tripping, and they stopped calling him by his birth name, and they creatively expressed their distaste and referred to him as this dreamer. In Hebrew, it reads, Baal Hakalomoth, which means the master of dreams. And it burns with a taste of sarcasm. This name calling implies that Joseph was creating his dreams to serve a selfish purpose. The combination of their resentment toward Joseph's dreams and who he was and his identity distorted their perceptions of who they were. And in those days, birth order was respected. Joseph was a younger brother and supposedly had lower status. His status and identity is, was determined by tradition, conflicted with the messages hidden in his dreams. This irked his brothers, even double-minded Reuben. They erroneously believed that they could silence his dreams by physically silencing him. And they said, and you heard it, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And they did see. Dreams cannot be silenced when they are rooted in the hope and the vision of God. And Joseph went through many trials, but he didn't give up or give in. The hope associated with the dreams not only carried him through these situations, but he walked along the journey emboldened by his dreams. Again, what do you do when you realize that God's vision for you is larger than the vision and imagination of everyone else around you? What do you do when their vision of you is limiting and crushing? Let us remember that dreamers have faults and shortcomings and that become the tools that others might use to deter and distract the dreamer and those encouraged by the dreamer's charisma and passion. And oh, our dreams can be the harbingers of nightmares in the forms of bomb scares and phone calls, texts, and cyberbullying from unidentified persons threatening to do us harm. And they like to do it in the middle of the night. Haters are good at plotting. Remember that it's not about them and their threats. It is about the dream, the vision, and the hope and tangible real change, a movement. Isn't it a shame that those who hate the dream do not realize that the vision also works for their good? You remember what happened once Joseph became the man he envisioned himself to be. He was able to be a blessing to those who once resented him and his dreams. While reunited, reunited with his family in Egypt, Joseph said to them, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph symbolizes the kindness and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had no time to hate his haters because he kept his focus on God's dream. And this song of hope, a vision created and orchestrated by the Almighty, reverberates through the larger biblical narrative and most of the prophets' encounters with those who despise them and their visions. Yet it is most prevalent of all in Jesus. He, too, is a master of dreams. 
He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the vision. He is our ultimate hope. And somebody say amen. amen. I know we're Episcopalians, but we can get down into this thing too. And we say amen. It is this vision that is still at the heart of the dream of Brother Martin Luther King Jr., God placed in him a dream of justice in a beloved community. In spite of his haters, Martin never stopped telling everyone about his dreams. And he didn't just have one. There were many. And although he spoke to the racial challenges of his time, using language that illustrates a black-white paradigm, it is evident in all of Martin's essays, speeches, and sermons that the beloved ones include all creatures, great and small. His vision for a more inclusive reimagining of the Imago Dei or the image of God moved him to talk about his dreams concerning race, economics, immigration, and war. And today we can apply this to gender or anything else that challenges us today. The dream of Dr. King is not simply for people of African descent or in the African diaspora to be welcomed into white dominant spaces, but it is for such people to be able to move, think, and speak freely in whatever spaces they may be. And surely this model is to be recognized, applied, and practiced regarding other marginalized people. As his dreams were local and global, King dreamt about tearing down signs real and imagined that say only us and they cannot enter. Martin's dreams emboldened him to ask the social, political, oppressive constructs, where is God in the laws and mantras that proclaim and perpetuate anti-blackness and white supremacy? And I must drive this home using Martin's words. So long as the Negro is treated as a means to an end, so long as he is seen as anything less than a person of sacred worth, the image of God is abused in him and consequently and proportionately lost by those who inflict that abuse. This statement of sacred worth is argued for us all, abuser and abuse, oppressor and oppressed, dreamer and your haters. We must cease abusing, tormenting, and denying the image of God in one another. I say again, we must cease abusing, tormenting, and denying the image of God in one another. What do you do when others don't, can't, and won't see you and imagine you as God imagines you? My favorite sermon by Dr. King is The Drum Major Instinct, which came five years after his well-known speech, I Have a Dream, and three months before his final speech called I See the Promised Land. In The Drum Major Instinct, Brother Martin reflects on the human proclivity to be special and ahead of others. And this is what the drum major conveys in the marching band tradition of the historical black colleges and universities in the United States. Secondary to the black preacher's role, the drum major position actualizes leadership and self-agency. One can be the standout and receive admiration from the community. However, the drum major instinct for greatness can be distorted 
And there is a temptation to forget others and to become self-serving using Mark 10, where the sons of Zebedee asked Jesus if they could sit each on, on each side of him in glory. Martin points out how the desire to be superior to others is embedded in America's history of systemic racism. And he asserts that this quest for attention, recognition, and importance are desires we all have. He says that even a child can be a little bundle of ego. Interestingly, he does not condemn the human need to be first, but because we have a distorted need to be first, we must seek God's definition of what it means to be first. And he says, Jesus gave us a new norm of greatness. In essence, those who want to be first must be servants. The prophet further says, everyone can be great because everyone can be a servant. And isn't that what happened with Joseph? He achieved greatness as a means of serving other people along his journey. And likewise, Martin, the great prophetic voice of our time, served with a loving and merciful truth-telling heart. To be created in the image of God means that we are all beckoned to greatness. I say it again. To be created in the image of God means that we are all beckoned to greatness. And somebody say amen, because we are all beckoned to greatness. We are all beckoned to greatness. Think about it. Yet this greatness doesn't look like what Joseph's brothers imagined or suspected Joseph to claim. It doesn't look like the greatness that systemic injustice envisions as a symbol of superiority or goodness. To achieve this greatness, this undistorted drum major instinct means that we must hold to the dream of the good shepherd, the way out of no way maker, the God of the oppressed, the God of the downtrodden, the Lord of justice and love. So what do we do when the dream is larger than the lives we're presently living and the struggle is long when the haters whom we must love keep on shooting darts of fire in our direction and come at us on every side, high and low? What do we do when the dream is challenged by genuflections on the neck, gunfires in the classroom, nightclubs, marketplaces, temples, and churches? What do you do when you've cried so much that the only tears you can muster come in the form of the question, Lord, how long? We must never lose sight of the dream and the one who gave us the dream. And how do we hold on to the dream of a beloved community that embraces us all? We must walk in the way of Joseph, Martin, and all the prophets. We must look to him who reminds us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors, our siblings, our haters, as ourselves, and to always be merciful and kind. Jesus, God's dream incarnate, died and was cast into the pit and was raised so that we could see, live, and be partakers of God's eternal dream. Finally, we must pray without ceasing. 
This is what it means to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand firm and be strong in the Lord and in his strength, his power. And let all the beloved who are created in the image of God say amen.